Welcome to the Bible Preacher. I'm Pastor Matt Cadle. I serve at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles and Lutheran Campus Ministry at USC. And I'm Zach Pierce. I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder in America's finest and only institute of higher education of the Buddhist tradition, uh, Naropa University. Uh, Matt, we have a guest today. We do. Do you want to introduce our guest? I will introduce our guest. Yeah, today uh, with us on the pod, we have a guest. Uh, Matt, we have not always been good about guests. We'll have to let our guests know that they're the first guests to actually follow through, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, What we like to do is we build guests because we schedule them and then things happen and and they're unable to come on the pod. So we build up a lot of hype that we're never able to deliver on. Um, And so we're we're proud to introduce you as a friend of the pod, especially in contrast to enemy of the pod, Kevin Strickland, uh, the director of worship for the LCA, (laughs) is an enemy of the pod. Uh, because we had a date so, set forever, build it up forever, and he canceled. He canceled. Well, Kevin, Kevin's a great enemy. A great enemy to have, right? <laughs> we're making t-shirts that says enemy of the pod. Uh, but we're excited today on the pod. Uh, we've got Jonathan Rundman, singer-songwriter. Does that work? Is that, is that an appropriate title? Yeah, that's, that's the best, probably, uh, best way to say it. Uh, you, maybe you've heard him on uh, Ellen DeGeneres, uh, right? I was really excited to read uh, Mountain Stage. Matt is a is a native West Virginian. A Mountain Stage is almost yeah. Mountain Stage recorded in Morgantown, West Virginia, is almost as good as E Town, mm. the show filmed in Boulder, recorded in Boulder. So that's pretty good. Yeah, it was really. That was one of the coolest things I ever got to do in my life was to be on Mountain Stage. That was a dream come true. I was actually listening to Mountain Stage when I read your bio and came across that. Yeah. It was so meta. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a great show. We're glad to have you on the pod today. Yeah, I've, I've been listening. I listened to a few of your episodes uh, for the season of Lent. So I'm so I've sorry. Heard the, last, the last few, you know, but I, I, I have not gone as far back as Advent or, you know, earlier in the in the liturgical cycle. After Pentecost okay. 17 was a, was a classic. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, no, yeah. I'm happy to be part of the Lent a series because Lent is my favorite of all the seasons. Excellent. Really? Why is that? Why is Lent your favorite season? I think it's the most rock and roll of all the church seasons. Mm. What? And it's the most I, rock and roll? Yeah. You know, it's... I, I don't know. It's it's about mortality and it's kind of intense and bleak and a little bit uh, I don't know cantankerous. So is there a different genre for like every season of the like what like Advent's got its own genre and like there's a hip hop season I imagine. Well, you guys, uh, like you guys, you guys were playing the hip hop last week I saw on the show, or you, know, you had Kanye or something, and there was a little Beyonce yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I must admit, I, I don't uh, – I'm not up on the hip-hop genre. So you, you'd have to sure. decide which season, which season. the hip-hop okay. season. Okay. Okay. I feel like there are, there are a lot of genres fighting for Lint. Well, lots of music genres are rooted in angst, I think. So mm-hmm. that's – those are good for Lint, I think. Muy can well, what are your, what, are your, what are your favorite seasons? I always – whenever I meet a pastor, I always like to ask them. <sighs> what's your favorite season? What's your favorite season? And then oftentimes, in my experience, pastors, very many of them like Lent the best. Wow, that's a really good question. Um, I've got an answer. This is very easy, man. This is not hard. Okay, yes. Go for it. It's hard for me. You go first. Clearly Advent. Some of us really appreciate an apocalyptic worldview. That's myself. End of the world stuff. I love – 
Advent 1 and 2. When we get close to Jesus and it gets sappy, who cares, right? But like... Everything we're gonna burn everything down. That is uh, is my my jam. Advent's got lots of. It feels like Lent in lots of ways to me, which is another reason I like Advent. I think they are resonating with one another. I like Advent. I think I used to like Advent more, and I still like the idea of Advent. But it's such a. I live it out. How are, in my current context, right? The way the, our church does Advent, I'm not quite in sync with the. It's an angsty one for me at the moment. Yeah. I think right now, like, I think it's not. It's not technically a season, but Holy Week, uh, I think, is my favorite time of the year, and that's in part because, at least in my context now, it's like it's the season with the most opportunities for creativity, right? And on Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday the vigil like it's the time when i feel most free to just try try things out try crazy things really kind of blow open what worship and liturgy can be uh so that i think that's probably my and it gets to our deepest i don't know i mean it's it's death to life right it's 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 the lowest lows and the highest highs all yeah. mixed up here in that one week right mm-hmm. um so is, is it technically a season i don't know yeah definitely i mean it's definitely yeah it's, it's it's its own measurable part of the calendar it's a it's a freestanding you know uh series within the calendar flow but now both of you guys work at colleges right as part of your pastor job and so i i think that's sort of interesting because the campus ministry people that i've known you kind of get a weird angle because oftentimes your parishioners aren't there on the biggest days you don't see them on christmas you don't see them on Easter most of the time. You know, they're, they go home on vacation or whatever for a lot of that stuff. And mm-hmm. even like, uh, you know, my father-in-law was a college pastor. And I always thought it was interesting that, you know, his congregation was missing all the biggest festival days. Christmas Eve, I just sit in a closet by myself and cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I mostly, I do, we've got USA across the street. And so we do some work. With students, most of my community is rooted in South Los Angeles and South Central LA. And so oftentimes those, well, especially in Lent and Holy Week, not so much at Christmas, which tends to be low for us, but especially Holy Week is also a time for collaboration between congregations, which also just makes it much more interesting and fun. And we get different perspectives all kind of colliding together um, in a way that's hard to do the rest of the year. But we do it in Holy Week. We collaborate more with, with nearby congregations and that makes it cool too. So, so we're in Lent then, Matt? We are still in Lent. We're like moving through it, though, pretty quick. This is the fourth Sunday of Lent, I believe. And I have a fun fact to share about the the fourth Sunday of Lent. Do you? Yes. Uh, There was another uh, major Earth holiday this week. Springtime. Equinox. The Equinox came, right? Uh, So this Sunday, fourth Sunday of Sunday, fourth Sunday of Lent, uh, was traditionally a day when folks would bring roses to be blessed at the church uh, as a part of that honoring of springtime life returning the white pall of winter is being lifted. How did you find that out? I'm a pastor and I host a podcast. So I prepare, I prepare for things. Well done. I like these, uh, I like these churchy seasons that follow the rules of the moon and the cosmos, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's not based on the day of the calendar like Christmas is. Yeah. But it's based on what the moon is doing. And I heard something interesting at my own congregation earlier this season. Like it was like maybe on Ash Wednesday, the first Sunday in Lent, where my pastor was, uh, I don't know if he's doing a prayer or doing some sort of introductory 
piece of text, and he was saying that the season of Lent itself is a wandering season. Hmm. And the actual the actual season wanders around on the calendar. And I just thought that, that was the coolest image. I'd never heard anybody put it that way before. Yeah. And to think yeah. that you know, wandering the wilderness for 40 days and all day, all that kind of wandering imagery and the fact that the season itself is wandering, that, that really works for me. That is really cool, yeah. So this ties in, Matt, to my short Lenten reading. Why should we Christians feel joyful today? In the first place, this Sunday is a festival of spring. At least it was so in the early church. In olden times, the first roses were brought to church for a blessing on this Sunday. And Christians of former times lived much closer to nature than we do. And when, after the cold of winter, spring comes to our land like a smiling youth, when in the fields God begins the miracle of multiplying bread, when God spreads a great table from which all creatures, the lowest to the highest, can eat their fill, and when God lifts the white pall of winter from the earth and restores life in abundance to plants and animals, then Christians have cause to experience heartfelt joy. For they have a presentiment that paradise is not far away. A shortland reading coming today from Pius Parsh. Go on. Are we going to post that on the website? Absolutely. What website would you like us to, to post it on? <laughs> we can put it on the Facebook. We, we have a Facebook page. That's a website. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that counts. I think that counts. Let's see? How long have you guys been doing the pod? What, since the fall, I think? Mm-hmm. September, I think. Are you getting to know your listeners? Like, are you, and, and who are they? Are they are they pastors and kind of churchy planner leader types, or are they uh, lay people, or are they seminary students? I mean, who's who? Do you know kind of uh, your demographic of who's out there? You you, you got this one, Matt. <laughs> That's a good question. Do we have listeners? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know yet. I think we're. I think we started. So, I mean, maybe you know more uh, about our. Our uh, stats, our listening stats, Zach. But um, but I think we sort of got started. I think I always just wanted to, to do it, to try podcasts from a certain perspective. And so we sort of got started doing it. And then hoping that eventually, once we got a little better at what we were doing, we would start to find an audience. Yeah. But it seems um, like it would so, be people who are getting ready to write a sermon, maybe, right? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Right. But I think it's only recently that I've really started to to push it more and get it out there more um, as we've sort of developed more of a rhythm, uh, I think, within pods. So I remember, yeah, so yesterday we had our bishop's colloquy and I was like, oh yeah, I have a podcast. Like, they were like, what? And then I had to tell everybody. So we may have some more listeners. What new uh, listeners today? Uh, I think the biggest demographic so far probably is uh, is students. We did a, we did a live uh, episode at the Lutheran Student Movement Gathering I know we have a number, multitudes, really, of of my students listen. Yeah, and I think I think part of the impetus behind starting the podcast was for sure, like, got to write a sermon on Sunday. I know I have to, so I yep. find it really valuable to, like, talk with somebody else about that. Uh, um, and maybe other folks would want to listen in, because I also enjoy listening to podcasts. Well, not enjoy is the wrong word, but I find it helpful yeah. um, to listen to others talk about it, right? So you guys, do you always tape on a Tuesday and then drop it on Wednesday so people can have a few days to write and think and prep? Or is, would you have a schedule that you use? We're working on the schedule. We try to do it earlier in the week. We try to, but... Uh, and when does it, does it always go live? I mean, you want to get it out before Sunday, obviously, right? Ideally. Cool. Ideally Wednesday, but... And that gives that gives people, if they, if they hear on Wednesday or Thursday, they got time to, you know, maybe pick up some some angles on the text before they 
finish their yeah i mean i think i think a a preaching podcast has to walk a a weird line that like for instance i know working preacher records like a month Mm -hmm. of episodes at once oh right right which is really helpful for being able to get it out right that it drops on on sunday night monday morning but then you you don't have any context to things that might be happening that week at all. Yeah, um, right. So you got to walk that line of, of, of getting it out there early enough, but also being able to, to engage in, in, in what's happening. Right. And, and you, and you guys are the hosts, so you're preparing your own message for the coming week. And so you're living in a way that's relatable to the listener. Whereas mm-hmm. if you, if you prepped everything six months early, right. you know, you wouldn't be, you know, it'd be hard to like write six months of sermons that far in advance and then have it all at your tip of your tongue to talk about. So, I mean, this mm-hmm. makes sense, too, because to, you guys are walking with the listener through the process of the text study. So that's good. I mean, and both, yeah. both, ways of, both ways of doing it are legit, but you guys are kind of like the practical real world. Uh, you know, you're relatable to the actual listener. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. And I think like, I mean, any preaching podcast is going to have its own perspective, right? So working preacher can bring a lot of that historical critical context, which is super helpful. You need some of that. And I think we also try to be rooted in what our individual contexts are, right? Zach's out in Boulder. I'm in Los Angeles. What's going on where we're at? Um, yeah. And so I think we do need to get a little closer to the to the actual date. Zach, I was in Boulder like two or three years ago, and I played at the Methodist Campus Ministry House. Oh yeah, Wesley with Roger. Roger and Roger was the the guy who invited me to play. Yeah, and uh, and they have a really cool um, building and a nice mm-hmm. space for music. And so I assume that yeah, all of uh, those folks like yourself, you probably all know each other, right? Yeah, I um, we have a, a group of, of kind of the professional religious workers on campus, and so yeah, I've known Roger ever since I've uh, been here. We actually meet right behind him too. So, oh great, yeah, that's a cool town. I love Boulder. I like to go to Cheapo, the record store. Is it closed? Oh, where's that? I still have Cheapo. I see. I, I I relate every town in America mm-hmm. to the record store to the record store in that town. So when I think of Boulder, I think of Cheapo, and when I think of Los Angeles, I think of Amoeba. Mm-hmm. Amoeba, yeah. You go to Amoeba on Hollywood Boulevard or Sunset or whatever. Yeah, it's Hollywood yeah I've been there a couple times. Oh man, now I'm getting mm-hmm. excited just thinking about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, this, yeah, is final, this is the final preacher right? podcast, right? It is. So if, there's any, if there's any podcast with clergy talking about record stores, this should be the one. This is it. <laughs> totally, yeah. We should record from a record store sometime. Mm. Yeah. Good oh idea, gosh. Good idea. For that one. <laughs> I think the most important yeah. interview question that Matt hasn't asked you yet, uh, Matt has been trying to go through Lent, only picking uh, Coachella artists uh, for the playlist. Um, <laughs> failed, though. He's failed already at this. Uh, so, so maybe that's the first question. The second question, follow-up to that, did you get invited to Dadchella? Because uh, cause I didn't get invited to Dadchella. A bunch of dads go to Coachella every year, uh, and I didn't get the invite this year. So I was wondering, maybe you did. Maybe Pastor. you could. Pastor dad. Pastor yeah. dads, excuse me. Yeah. Are you are you actually a dad? You have children? I am now. Yeah, they're four months old. So. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is Zach, you're, you're a dad too? Uh, to the best of my knowledge. 
I have, okay. a, I have a 10 month old roommate uh, that my wife bore. Uh, so 11 <laughs> month old, actually. It's 11 months. I'm a dad as well. And I wonder if that. I've been aware now that there's even a genre of rock and roll called dad rock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's well, so I know that there's, there's who would, actual. Who would, who would typify dad rock for you? Because I've got a very well, short list that I call dad rock. Well, I'm not sure what I think about it, but I know is what I've read is that Wilco mm-hmm. and and like Wilco and the National mm-hmm. are called Dad Rock, <laughs> and you know I'm aware of those bands, and I I actually am not a big uh, authority. I liked Wilco 25 years ago or 20 years ago, <laughs> but uh, I've, I've lost I've lost track since the year 2000. I've lost track, and I actually don't know the National, but I. I get that it's like uh, 45 year old dudes jamming on old guitars. I think <laughs> it's, it's Gen X, um, Gen X kind of jammy boogie rock or something. I was at a, at a national show at Red Rocks this summer. Oh and, yeah. And I, I can, I can vouch for your observations. That's, uh, that's, that's correct. That's <laughs> you're you're right. Yeah, so I guess that's that's what dad rock is. Um, and there might there may be other kinds, other bands too that are dad rock. But I know those are the the grand. Those are the Mount Rushmore of of dad rock. Right there. <laughs> it makes sense to me. I was interested. Like, why is it called the Vinyl Podcast? Is it um, is it because you guys are both sort of uh, retro uh, LP turntable listeners? <laughs> yeah, so that's a good question. So, you know, thinking of a preaching podcast, we wanted to have an angle. And one of the things that I that I would do sometimes is come up with a I would make a playlist for like that particular Sunday in the church year, right? I'd read the text and I'd be like, oh, that makes me think of a song that I like. Uh, maybe I could come up with a couple of songs and so I'd make a little playlist. And I was like, just. I'd done that a couple of times. And then we thought, well, maybe we could do that as part of the podcast. We'll like make a playlist of songs that might fit yeah. um, this particular lectionary, right? But but the thing is, they wouldn't necessarily be songs out of the ELW, right? They'd be they could be pop songs, it could be songs that you might hear on secular radio. So that's one of the questions that I had for for you too, is um so I'm curious what you think about that difference between is there a difference between like sacred music and secular music? What is that difference if it exists? Um, how do we think about that? I know that when I was in high school, I used to think about it in pretty stark terms, right? There was like, there was a Christian contemporary rock that I was supposed to listen to that my church promoted. And then there was like that other stuff that was like, maybe okay, or maybe not okay. And then later in high school, I discovered you two and you two like kicked down the wall, right? Between the, whatever you think about you two, for me, they kicked down the wall between sacred and secular. And it was like, well, but this doesn't, this fits in either box. Like, you know? Um, And so ever since, I think I've seen, I think I, like I've found spirituality and God in, in all music that I can find. Right. Um, And it's more complex than that, et cetera. But just this idea that God is on the radio too, right. That you could turn the radio on and also hear, some strengths of the divine. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Sacred, secular? I was is that a just, division, is yeah, I was just talking about this for lunch. I just got home actually to come on your podcast. Uh, I met over by Augsburg College in Minneapolis with a musician friend of mine who is in a bluegrass duo. And, uh, and we were talking about how this sort of uh, artificial division between sacred and secular. And so I think there are two 
answers to your question. And so one would be like what I would call like the Lutheran answer. And then one I would call the showbiz answer. And so, uh, and I think the Lutheran answer would be that there is no difference between the two and that music is music. And some of it is interesting and cool and some of it's not. And some of it is in four, four time and some of it's in three, four time. Now, some of it has a drummer and some of it doesn't. And some of it has singing and some of it doesn't. I mean, there's lots of, Mm -hmm. but ultimately it's, it's just music, you know? And so I think a, a Lutheran might answer that way because like you're saying that, you know, God is running around in all of that stuff. And hmm. regardless of, you know, the type of people that are singing it or the type of words that are being sung or whatever. So they, yeah. that's my, so that's what I would say sort of from a, a Lutheran artistic standpoint. But then like the second answer I would say is the showbiz answer. And and I divide sacred and secular by the showbiz industrial complex that creates the actual work itself. And so I think uh, Christian music comes from Nashville, Tennessee, from a series of office buildings in Nashville and from yeah. a series of companies that are owned by uh, certain uh, people that rooted in the 70s and 80s had their own labels and their own affiliations with networks of Christian media companies and Christian bookstores and sort of mm-hmm. a, a Christian media retail uh, output zone. And that, and they had a network, they had their own video music shows, their own network yeah. of radio stations. Like, like now we have Clear Channel, but they would have their own parallel universe of radio. Right. They'd have their own parallel universe of print media, and yeah. they would have their own parallel universe of studios and session drummers, producers, yeah. session bass players, songwriters. Yeah. And it would be a completely freestanding parallel universe. And that is what makes Christian music. And it's quite easy to identify and quite, yeah. and it even sounds like its own thing. And yeah. then they also have their own, not only they have a spout, but they also have like a live music concert spout and concert, yeah. uh, like a summer festival concert circuit, like the Chitlin circuit sort of. So yeah. it's really a, a separate universe. That's yeah. what Christian music is. And then there's, no other, then there's just normal music, which is not, has nothing to do with those bookstores and those radio stations, those, right. mags, those festivals and those uh, studios and those bass players. And it's a completely, and that is everything else on the face of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be the wow. sound. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, so I knew some of that, but I hadn't thought I hadn't thought about it quite so deeply in terms of like just how I don't know wrapped up that is in like a, a really sort of capitalistic impulse, right? Of like this is a this is this is one way to make money, right? This is gonna we're gonna create this niche, um, and then how does that how does that influence folks' theology, right? So maybe it is like oh well, there's just this whole other like world of music, but if you if you start thinking about your faith in that way, that your faith is exists in a parallel universe and not in the rest of your reality. I don't know. It's got implications for, for your faith, for your theology too. Um, why do you think that it's a particularly Lutheran way to think about it, to think about 
God showing up anywhere in music? Why is that a particularly Lutheran answer for you? Well, I think because Lutherans have sort of the sacramental understanding of God entering in using ordinary stuff, you know, like ordinary water. Foreshadowing. Like, yeah, like ordinary water at the font, right? Or ordinary bread and ordinary wine. Or, yeah, like like spitting in the mud. Oh, look, are you connected? (laughs) Foreshadowing. Or like, you know, crying, crying baby in the crib. It's this mundane, ordinary stuff that God emerges within. And Lutherans love that stuff and are constantly drawn to that kind of moment. And so certainly that's what rock and roll is doing. Yeah. And that's what country music is. That's what it's mm. called, or folk music is called folk music because it's the music of the people, you know. It's yeah. ordinary. It's yeah. mundane. You know, and I was yeah. thinking of, I've been thinking a lot about Chuck Berry, who died a couple mm. days ago. Yeah, right. And, and Chuck Berry was the king of rock and roll. He invented rock and roll like before Elvis and everything else. And he was the king of making beautiful, profound rock and roll songs out of mundane stuff like going to high school hmm. or driving your car yeah. or or uh like uh, or that song like yeah, goes to show you never can tell about a young couple getting married or uh riding around in my automobile with no particular place to go right mm-hmm. it's just normal stuff that real people just do that's boring and mundane <laughs> and he made like and there was nothing, no grandiosity, no complex plot lines, no heart-crushing tragedy. I mean, just just real normal stuff. And it was just yeah. totally rocking and awesome. And there's and yeah. he, and without Chuck, there would be no Beatles and no Stones and no Jonathan Runman, you know. And yeah, yeah. And so that's the Lutheran stuff going on there. Yeah, it's oh, that beauty. Is a way to think about it. You know, it's beauty. And and energy and gyrations in in the mundane. Yeah. Wow, that is that is beautiful. So so coming around full circle then uh, to Jonathan Runman. So how do you think about your own work? Um, where do you situate yourself, and how do you understand your vocation as an artist? Oh yeah, this is this is the other thing I was talking about at lunch, and it has to do with what we were just talking about. Where mm-hmm. I I like lots of different situations as an artist and as a player and as a singer and as a song leader, right? So I love rock and roll music and I like to just listen when I'm driving in my car or play at a bar or play at a festival or play at Mount, on NPR Mountain Stage, you know, something like that. And I don't want to have to give that up to be a church musician, right? Mm-hmm. But I love church music and I love the liturgy and yeah. I love hymns and I love singing with the congregation and I love helping a congregation have a moment together in harmony connected to, uh, you know, gathering word meal sending and yeah. connected to the text and connected to the season and connected mm-hmm. to the, the mundane stuff of their everyday life. Right. And mm-hmm. I don't want to have to give that up to play rock and roll. And I don't want to have to give up rock and roll to play at church. And Lutherans 
should be extra glad to be in the arts because yeah. we would say you can do all of it and there is no need to make a choice between one or the other because it's yeah. all equally legit yeah and it's all equally beautiful and necessary mm. and if you want to if you're have the gifts and passion to do it then knock yourself out and there's yeah. also like a vocational element about being an artist that's happening in those kinds of moments that is true about the Lutheran angle on vocation, which is important for everybody, regardless of what your daily work is, right? So whether you're a musician or a pastor or a bus driver or a teacher, whatever it is, is that your passion and your daily work is legit, hmm. no matter what it is. Yeah. It's equally legit. So it's like you don't have to say, well, I'm doing this now, but maybe someday I'll do something holy or something churchy or something, you know. It's like your job as the bus driver or the airplane pilot or the fourth grade teacher or the, you know, insurance salesperson, whatever it is, is equally legit as your pastor's job or as the Pope's job or as my job. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's what's awesome about being a Lutheran for yeah. any of us who are trying to follow our passion because we're always reminded that it's legit. No, that's really helpful. Thank you for that. Yeah. And I, and I also just, I, in the way that you're describing that, I hear a great sense of freedom, right? Um, which I also associate with, with being a Lutheran, this freedom to, that, yeah, you can exist outside the church. You can enter into the church. You can go back. You feel this freedom to go back and forth. And that's, uh, yeah, that's a powerful thing. It's very cool. You know, and that's the other thing, if we're going back to the earlier question about Christian music versus music, is that if you're operating within those series of office buildings in Nashville, they won't let you switch over if you feel like it. Yeah. You're not allowed to. You have right. to pick one or the other. And yeah. if you try to switch over, it's too confusing to the radio station that they're communicating with and to the magazine right. that they're sending a press release to and to yeah. the people who are buying tickets for the festival. It's just too confusing yeah. to have all this switching yeah. around. So yeah. it's much more easier to keep tabs on everything if you just kind of figure out what you're going to do and stay there. And so I think right. that's, that makes our job as Lutherans in the arts more difficult because it is a little mm -hmm. more confusing. It's sure. a little harder to figure it out. But it's also yeah. with, you know, there's a price you pay for that kind of freedom you're talking about. Yeah, that is, sure. it's, it's harder to nail it down. It's harder to package it up. It's harder to be clear about you know, what are you singing about today? <laughs> you know, yeah. well, yeah. it might be something different than I was singing about yesterday. <laughs> yeah. But I think yeah. it's worth, I think it's worth it. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have the freedom and, and be a little more messy. Messy freedom. Oof. Well, thank you. That's really, man. We're actually reflecting on music in the Vinyl Preacher today. That's so exciting, oh, Zach. Ridiculous. <laughs> I know, it's great. We haven't it's talked great. about the ancient Near East once, Matt. This is terrible. <laughs> Maybe we'll loop back around to some of these themes, but uh, I feel like thinking about that, thinking about messy, a messy freedom. I feel like our text today is, gets a little bit messy. Oh, is it time, Zach? Time? Uh, John, do you know what? Well, you're in Central, right? Uh, you've got yeah, central time. You're yeah. in central time, so I don't know. You might 
It might be an hour past. Uh, time for the text! So, Zach, what text are we looking at? We're looking at the ninth today. chapter of John, Matt. Ninth chapter of John. Hey, can I very quickly look at the other two texts and then we'll dive into John? Sure, yeah. We're not going to go into detail. But do you know the other two texts we get? Um, the anointing of David, where mm. Samuel goes to uh, Jesse's sons and has to pick a son. And it's, oh, guess what? It's not the biggest, the tallest, the strongest. It's little David. And then David gets anointed with oil. And then, uh, and then for some reason, Psalm 23 is assigned. Huh. That's interesting, right? And then uh, we get Ephesians. Which ends with this amazing line, sleeper awake, oh, sleeper goodness. awake, rise from goodness. the dead and Christ will shine on you. And uh, those are our warm up acts uh, for the gospel, the gospel of John chapter nine. So tell us about the gospel of John chapter nine. So here's what we got. We got Jesus uh, walking down the road, which begs the question, where is Jesus coming from? Uh, he's coming from the temple. They just tried to stone him. Uh, and he decided to, to head out of town. So a slightly hectic, uh, tenuous atmosphere in which he finds himself. Uh, and at the side of the road, there is a blind man, which there are a couple blind men on the side of the road in, in the Gospels. Uh, we got a blind man on the side of the road here. Uh, and Jesus heals him. He helps. He makes him to see. And he does so right by spitting in his face. Uh, or in his eyes, uh, mixes it with some dirt and some mud, rubs it in his eyes, and he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, 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 Siloam. He does so, and he can see, and he's telling everybody, this is great, I can see, I was unable to see previously, and so now I, I have sight, and that's uh, a more convenient way for me to move through the ancient Near East. Uh, and it raises a lot of questions. Interesting thing happens. Nobody's sure exactly who he is. There's a lot of conversation uh, among the, the people. Is this the guy who was blind? Was this the blind beggar? Or was that someone? Is he someone else? Which, interesting, what that does, it reveals, it opens up that, that he was not a very closely connected member of the community if they don't recognize him or having to have arguments about who exactly he is. Uh, and then, uh, Matt, current events. You ready for this? Current events tying in. James Comey, uh, just like James Comey going to testify, uh, they call in the blind, the formerly blind man, the now healed man, and you got to testify before the Pharisees. And they ask a number of rhetorical questions. So this has nothing to do with our current situation in the world, uh, where at, when folks go to, to testify, people will ask purely rhetorical questions. They find the answers of the, the healed man unsatisfactory, and so they call in his parents. Uh, we need to bring in more people. They, they, they subpoena his parents. They come in, and they're like, no, we don't want any part of this. You should talk to our son because uh, we, we had nothing to do with this. Uh, out of fear, they say. And so they bring him in again and ask him some more questions. And uh, he ends up calling Jesus a prophet. Uh, and that's really, at the end, there's a little saying where Jesus tells the, the Pharisees that, that it is because you, you have sight that you do not see. Excellent introduction. <laughs> you got it. And why, so why do you think this text shows up in Lent? Why, do you, why does it show up in the fourth Sunday of Lent? Mm -hmm. Why on the fourth Sunday of Lent? That's an excellent question, Matt. And, well, I skipped a part, Matt, a, a really critical part. Yeah. 
Um, so as he's walking along the road, he sees the man who was born blind. And his disciples actually ask Jesus a question. They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind, right? Uh, the idea was that uh, suffering was a result of our sinfulness. And so clearly someone sinned in order that this man might suffer. Uh, but since he was born blind and didn't become blind later in life, was it something he did? Was it his parents? Who did the, the bad thing here so that we can fix that up so that blindness and suffering doesn't happen anymore? And I think uh, Jesus' answer, we should probably say that, right, is that neither this man nor his parents sinned, but he was born, uh, and then here's the kind of tricky phrase, a lot of depth to it. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. That's a lot of baggage to, to sort through there. But I think that, that, that helps set it up for why it might be a good Lenten story. Uh, for one thing, I really like what Jonathan uh, mentioned earlier about Lent as a wandering season, wandering across the Gregorian calendar. Uh, but we got Jesus walking down the road again, uh, and it, it makes it sound kind of peaceful as he walked along. But as he's fleeing uh, the crowd with stones uh, is a little more what it's like. But I think that Lent, in particular, as a period of uh, self-reflection and examination, uh, I think many of us may find ourselves asking the same question. Why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to me? Uh, why do they happen to other people? Does that seem like a lame question to you? No, no, it's a really good question. I'm really struck by, it's like there's two, so there's a lot of talking happening in this story, right? There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of dialogue. You could, that's a polite way to put it. There's also a lot of arguing. Um, but then there's this little, there's this little part of action that happens in about verses six and seven. So Jonathan was talking about God showing up in the ordinary things, right? Uh, and very ordinary things. And here God shows up in water and in mud and in spit, <laughs> right? Um, so Jesus spits on the ground, makes mud, puts it on the man's eyes. Like this is the most physical, like dirty, messy action. Um, and then sends him to wash in the pool, right? right? Washing something we might do every day in one form or another. And so we get this one little little moment of uh, a really specific action that happens. And then there's a lot of talking about that action, about what actually happened, right? Mm -hmm. Fun fact, Matt. I got lots of fun facts. Found a little note that said that, that trading saliva was done in the ancient Near East in the same way we might do or think of like a blood uh, covenant, uh, right? Mm. Like from the old, uh, the old movies, right? Where you make the blood, uh, what's it called? Pop culture. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, you're like going to spit on your hand and then shake hands? That's that's the same thing, right? That's like, that's, they're saying that's analogous to when you like cut yourself and have the other person cut yourself and you do the bloody. Oh. Yeah, blood oath. Blood oath. Blood oath. Yeah. So you might even say the ordinary stuff is, uh, I mean, on one hand, right, he's doing the whole Genesis thing, right? Uh, mixing some blood and mud uh, to create a new person, which seems like the process of what Lent is about and getting to. But blood, water, pool of Siloam, mud, mm -hmm. mud, which is, I mean, that's how you get to like a real sacramental reading of this, right? You got water, which is the really obvious one, duh. Um, but you got this spit body fluid, right? This is my blood. Uh, and then mud as in body, right? Did I tell you last week of the beautiful, beautiful words that I heard from Augustine last week? No. Oh man, I got a hold of uh, a chapter from Ben Stewart's new book. Augustine calls our bodies the earth we carry. Oh, goodness gracious. It's beautiful, Matt. It's beautiful. 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 So, Jonathan, as a Lutheran who 
has probably been in church on the fourth Sunday of Lent, year A, from time to time. Do you, you probably heard this. You probably heard this story before, right? Do you like this story? Is this a story that that? Uh, what do you think about this story? Yeah, I like all the. Yeah, I, I like all the weird miracle stories. Those are cool. Or the, the like. In, there's that other one where he draws on the ground when he meets the uh, woman. Yeah. And everyone's challenging him. So he's like, he's into getting on his hands and knees and messing around in the dirt and drawing on the ground. I think that's, that's a nice, uh, it's a nice image. You guys were talking about earth and bodies and connecting back to Genesis. I was even remembering Ash Wednesday, you know, and like, remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. And, you know, so I think like, this is a good, this is a good text to read in the, in the season of Lent for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I love all that kind of earthy stuff. It just feels so credible to me. Yeah. It's so strange Jesus doesn't use glitter here. <laughs> it is. So it is strange. really strange. Um, well, it doesn't say that he didn't. Um, so, so. No, I also like, uh, I also yeah. like how the, the blind man doesn't particularly know what's going on. You know, that's, that's a nice part of the story where he's, you know, he doesn't know what happened and he doesn't know who this guy was and he can't identify them. And then they ask, where is he? And he says, I don't know where he is. Yeah. And, uh, so it's, I love it because it's totally not about anything the blind man was doing or that he yeah. got his stuff together and figured it out. And like, uh, you know, he was just like clueless. And I love it. Yeah. I think that's just really a nice reminder. No, it, feels, totally. it feels good to, to me. I just, it makes me feel good in my, in my body to pay attention to that part of the story, you know? I mean, that kind of ties into one of the things that we've, we've hit a number of times on the podcast, uh, but the, especially when you're in the Gospel of John, belief is tied into seeing, and our gut reaction to what, how sight functions, uh, at least mine, is, is an idea that I have like lasers that shoot out of my eyes and see things, but it, but it turns out, right, that's not how eyes actually work. They receive uh, wa- waves of light. I can't make myself see anything. Uh, it's only oh, by receiving wow. the, light, the light that, that hits us. Do we see, right? So it becomes this passive thing and God does the, the work, especially, right, major, and, and that's a thing that's emphasized today that a major theme in John is that Jesus is the, the light. It turns out, doing my research, Matt, in the ancient Near East, they had more of the laser, laser vision kind of understanding of sight. Not so much that you had lasers shooting out of your eyes, but your ability to see came from a light that burned within you. Uh, and so mm. the light in your eyes, being able to see it, was indicative of having a light burning within you. And so people, uh, there was a certain amount of fear around the blind because they didn't have that light burning within them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you get that light, mm. dark thing. And perhaps, yeah. right, we got this massive reversal is what's happening here, right? We end up with it really beautifully where Jesus says, uh, now that you say we see, your sin remains. But if you're blind, you would not have sin. Perhaps mm. what he's getting to is what Jonathan's lifting up, right? The, the what is so blessed about about the the blind is their natural inclination to receive, and this this reminds me of uh, since I'm thinking about Chuck Berry this week and thinking about Keith Richards who loves Chuck Berry and is paying homage to Chuck Berry, and Keith Richards always says that you know being a songwriter is a, like being an antenna, mm. and that you're not generating the songs internally and then shooting them out of yourself. You're just, the songs are already there. They're flowing around in the atmosphere. And the songwriter's job is to be the antenna 
to receive the songs that are already there. And so the trick is just to open yourself and be free enough to catch the thing that's just hitting you from the outside. Yeah. And if you're, and once in a while, you have that magic moment, you know, where you're open to it. And then you're all of a sudden you're playing, I can't get no satisfaction, you know, and that's, and that's what Keith Richards would say about being a songwriter. And and I love that idea that, yeah, that seeing is just being an antenna. It's just being mm-hmm. a big dish. It's like being a, yeah, a reception dish for the stuff that's being shining at you and coming at you already, you know. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's a great, that's a really helpful thing to remember. I saw Keith Richards uh, give an interview this week on television, and it was so incredibly jarring. Because uh, it was the first time I'd seen one, seen someone smoking on TV in in like a million years. But he was definitely <laughs> smoking throughout the interview. <laughs> why? Why was he on TV? Was he talking about Chuck? He was. Yeah. He's Chuck's publicist in a lot of ways. <laughs> right, Matt. Do we want to talk? Actually, oh my gosh, Matt. We have two things we still need to talk about. Okay. Uh, yeah. Here's the first one we're going to talk about because this has multiple tie-ins, and I could not be more excited. Right. On one hand, we need to talk about the circular logic employed in Back to the the future in which Chuck Berry is inspired by Chuck Berry. Uh, <laughs> right? Like, there, hey, we'll set it up for you. Uh, is it one or two? It's one, right? In the original one. Uh, our, our, a good friend of the pod, Marty McFly, uh, is, is playing at the high school dance and he's playing Chuck Berry, right? And there's this ridiculous scene with the payphone where the drunk, where the, the guitarist who hurt his finger and couldn't play that had Marty McFly step into play. He's on a payphone. He's like, Chuck, it's your cousin Marvin! Marvin Barry! Right? (laughs) You gotta listen to this! And he holds the phone out, right? Uh, And that's how Chuck Berry is inspired, right? Uh, I heard some interesting takes on how hilarious that is uh, and how much fun that was in the movie. But also, right, hey, uh, a black rock and roll artist from the 50s uh, required the inspiration of uh, a white teenager from the future. (laughs) <laughs> but I also then saw uh, I was thrilled when I was I was reading some of uh, some of the stuff on your website, Jonathan, that the latest album is playing with linear time. Because goodness gracious, on this podcast we love playing with time. Oh yeah. So oh, you were reading about? Did you say my new album? Yeah. About linear time. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I have lots of songs on on the most recent record that's about um, well either the past or the future or the passage between all that stuff. And lately in my life, I've been really, I've been trying to, um, oh, hold on. My phone's ringing. I got to turn off my phone. It's your cousin, uh, Marvin, Marvin it's Barry. Marvin. It's Chuck Barry was calling me. Yeah, I've been inspired by linear time because I think that linear time has been getting a bad deal in American life and even in sort of spiritual circles because everybody's obsessed with the um, the eternal now, you know, and the divine, this living in the moment and uh, the, the divine present and being present and going to yoga classes and all this sort of thing. And and the idea that the future is a egoic projection of illusion and the past is also an illusion and the present is all that is true. Reality is only the now. Right. So that's the that's really a popular thing to, to think about. And so I was interested in this idea that, well, you know, if uh, if the stuff that God makes is good, like let there be light and it was good, you know, and let there be 
uh, sky and it was good. Let there be chickens. And they were good. And then, so I, I'm interested, like, what if like linear time that we are bound to and traveling on, if God made that, is it, wouldn't it be good? And shouldn't we maybe not forget, of course, it's good to live in the present. Obviously we have to do that. And good. We and to get obsessed with the future is unhealthy and to get lost in a, in the past is unhealthy. So it's certainly good to be present, but there's something beautiful about linear time. And to think that maybe the past was actually real and maybe the future is actually going to happen for real. And maybe we are on a journey in a linear way. And maybe that's awesome and not bad. And so that's what I'm interested in. And that's why lots of the songs are sort of about this. And I think as a musician, that makes sense to me because to be a musician means to live linear because when you're looking at your sheet music and you see the treble clef and you start on the left side of the page and you count your quarter notes to the right, you count one, two, three, four, down in Louisiana, goes to New Orleans, right? That's linear. There was a beat that happened beforehand, and the next beat is coming. It feels good to travel on the line, like the train, right? Rolling down the track. That feels good. That's why we count. That's why we have time signatures. And that's why there's anticipation and release in a crescendo, because linear time feels great and uh and so i am i'm trying to subconsciously say in some of the lyrics and just in the way i'm conducting myself that linear time is uh, underrated you know and what are we doing for pete's sake on the revised common lectionary other than measuring linear time for our own good and because it's beautiful and helpful and that and it works for me as a musician to be a liturgical person because liturgy and the calendar, boy, that feels like a big song to me or a a big Broadway show, you know, and I'm a character in the show and we are hitting our marks and breaking onto the stage and doing our big, uh, exciting number. And there's the big love song and the heartbreak and the chase and the, and the slow dance prom theme and all that stuff that feels so good, you know. I want to dig into that because it, I, I, that works for me. So I don't. I want to not forget about that and not yeah. let that get lost. Yeah. And I think Lent is Lent is just one more way that we say we're going to go on a linear trip from A to B, and yeah. it's okay. It's okay for us to to know that something's coming. And something happened before, and that's yeah. okay, you know. Yeah, I feel like I'm seeing like a third. I think, I think I'm seeing right. Uh, I'm trying my best to see in the most biblical way, or non-biblical, whatever uh, receptive way. Uh, but I, but I feel like I'm seeing like a third way of that, right? That, that that's what what I hear you describing, Jonathan. Oh, somehow they fit together, right? That I think that it's it's interesting to think about linear time. And that, that my critique of linear time in this story uh, would be that 
would be an understanding from from a linear perspective that the blind man was bad and now he's good or things are terrible and now they're they're good that i think a point of the story is to say that he was already he could already see more than the pharisees could see even before jesus made him to see um and that's and and maybe that leads us really helpfully into the into what i think is our our last kind of point here is that this raises the big theodicy question, right? Why do bad things happen? And if and, and, and not only that, it asks this, the kind of second question that happens is if Jesus could run around and make everybody see, why didn't he spend more time doing that? That the story is about more than him doing that, that work itself, right? When he flees the crowds and all that kind of stuff, there's this question that's raised again. Why, is, why doesn't Jesus just stick to, the, to doing the work itself instead of engaging in all this stuff that's just going to get him killed? Do you have an answer? Are you going to try to make us answer that impossible question? That is an impossible question. Um, I think there's serious pastoral things to deal with with this reading. And, and, and it's kind of like those divorce ones a while back. It's really, un, I think, unfortunate because I think as soon as you read those first two or three lines, the vast majority of people are going to be asking, are going to be wrestling with a lot of bad things happen question. And in particular, right, I think people aren't as seduced by the old idea that that it's because his parents were sinful. Uh, I don't think that's as common, but that an understanding of what Jesus says here is that he was born blind so that God's works may be revealed in him. I think swings people into the God's got a plan and there's a there's a reason for my suffering. Well, I think I don't want to take it too far away from 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 a literal blindness, but I also think that like the I think the Old Testament text here is helpful, right? Because it's about how do we see as God sees, right? That God sees in this different way than we see. And it's this different kind of sight. It's this deeper kind of thing that's going on. Um, it's not just God. It's not just Jesus coming and doing LASIK surgery, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's about more than, I think that part of what's going on, but there's more, there's sort of this other, this whole other level um, about how do we come to see as God sees all, all us who are blind, right? So I don't know. It's, I mean, it's a, uh, have you found that parishioners would be paying enough attention that that line would bother them and you might hear about it later? Or are you just, are you no, are you guessing that they're just going home in the car festering about that a little bit? Will, we do, um, we do a dinner after, after worship right now on Sunday nights. And so I, I'm, I've got about two people, I think, who will sit around the table this Sunday night and, and call bullshit on Jesus' answer and, and be able to articulate which, it and say it. Which answer? Uh, that, that he was born blind so that, that God's work might be, works might be revealed in him. The, uh, and, and they're going to uh, hear it as everything happens for a reason. Yeah, that's a messy line. That's not mm-hmm. – that's, that's, I, can, I, I can see how that's – it's hard to hear – if you have a certain situation in your personal life, it feels like bad news. Yes, it's so, I mean, you guys, uh, musicians, of course, have to be aware of the text and, the, you know, the, the tunes they're picking for the mm-hmm. congregation to sing. But certainly th- those of you who have to preach, that's a whole other, that's a heavy burden. <laughs> when you have something like tricky like that to wrestle with. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I feel like I would try really hard not to get, not to get 
duck on it. And it sounds like a cop out, but I, I guess I, I feel like you got to go at it from some, not from an analytical philosophy way, but mm-hmm. from some kind of poetic way. Right. I feel like you, that's, that's kind of the, that's somehow how you've got to go into it. So born blind and that comes up. So blind, he's blind from birth. This man was born blind, born blind. That, that little phrase comes up again and again and again. Wait and a second. Man. That, like, wait a second. Wait a yeah. second. What did you just say? Say it again. Say it what? again. What did I say? You said I it like know. 15 times in a row. That he was what, born blind? Born blind. Uh, what yeah. were we talking about like a week or two ago? Well, Nicodemus talking about Oh, you got to be right? born. You got to be yeah. born. Maybe exactly. we all got to be born blind. This doesn't answer the question we're working with. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to got to draw that connection to Nicodemus, right? You got to draw that connection to what is it? What is it? What are we talking about when we're talking about being born, mm-hmm. um, especially in this gospel uh, and in this season, and when this thing is paralleling on either side of the well from last week, right? We've got these talk, talking about being born. So I feel like somehow you've got to draw that connection. You can't make it just about this biological birth um, and and what's going on with your literal eyes. You're going to have to get beyond that or else you're really going to get stuck in some questions that I don't think the text is really trying to answer. And then this idea that where God's works might be, so that God's works might be revealed in him. I mean, that makes it sound really, really specific. So you could you could try to wrestle with that, but you might also talk about um, all of the places that God's works are revealed, right? That they're, that God's works are revealed in really unexpected places, maybe places that we, um, that we wouldn't think to look, places that we wouldn't want to look. Maybe, um, Matt. Those are places where God's work can be revealed. Maybe God's work is revealed in, in such unexpected places, in the blind, in, uh, I don't know, the ordinary, tying it yeah, back full exactly. circle, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I just think you got you you got to like you got to break it down a little bit. You got to blow through it a little bit. You got to play fast and loose with the text a little bit. But I don't mean that in a negative way, but in a in an artistic way. Right. Start pulling and pushing mm-hmm. and playing with it. Um, and I feel like that's really the only way to get out of it. I think if we try to like get into the everything happens for a reason kind of piece. Well, now all of a sudden we're back in this. I don't know. We're, we're, we're not we're not working from a situation of freedom anymore. Now we're in this situation of like predestination and i don't i don't feel like that's where the text wants us to go i don't feel like that's where god's calling us to go in this text so wrestle with the hard questions but maybe get at them from a different angle um would you ever would you ever like stand at the pulpit and tell your congregation this is tricky here's the verse (laughs) think about it i would love to hear email me this week tweet at me this week if you have an angle on this that's helpful yeah just throw it at throw it at the assembly and see what they would do with it if they kicked it around and say, get back to me on Wednesday after you fester for a few days. I mean, that might be kind of interesting. Yeah, it would be interesting to hear people's responses. I also think that as a preacher, like part of what I've got to do is to give people a couple of alternative paths in because I think that we hear too often the everything happens for a reason interpretation of the text. And so I feel like that's where people would go because that's where they've been told to go. That's where they've been told they're supposed to go. And so they feel like that's what they're supposed to say. And so part of my job as a preacher is to give them a couple of other, either another possibility or to open up a variety of possibilities and then maybe have that conversation about, well, what, what do you, what do you think about this and give them the freedom to think something new about it? Because people, I feel like people don't always know they have that freedom. And, And sometimes that's the role of preacher is to proclaim that freedom. And I think that's what, I mean, I think that's what Jesus is trying to do here um i think it's us hearing him say everything happens for a reason it's not it's, it's certainly not what he's saying that that 
I think a cynical way to say it, right, is he's dodging the heart of that question. Um, and that's what I would encourage preachers to do. That's what I hear you saying, Matt, right? And not in a negative way at all. Um, but that but that Jesus' response is intentionally not a direct answer to that question, but rather an inviting into pulling into into this world, like this this crazy, the alternative reality that's around us that as Jonathan has given this beautiful image to, right, uh, to, to turn on your antenna to all these other possibilities. Yeah, so I had two questions before we get to the songs. Sorry, we're almost to songs. Almost there. So um, I'm thinking about this, though, because Jonathan said, like, would you ask your congregation a question and then have them get back to you? So we do this thing in my context, in my community. I've got a great big chalkboard outside on the sidewalk outside my church and we can write anything that we want on that chalkboard which is really fun so i've been asking during lent i've been asking the neighborhood questions so like the first week jesus is in the wilderness and he's famished so i did an easy one what are you hungry for uh and the week after that was nicodemus and nicodemus is up late at night and so i said what keeps you up at night and we got all these responses from people that were just passing by that would write write little answers on there Last week at Zach's suggestion, uh, we wrote, where have your waters run dry? Where has your well uh, mm. run dry? And uh, that, that, was, that was an interesting one. So I'm wondering what the question of the week is this week. What's the question What's the question that invites people into this text? Does it have to do with sight? Um, and what, what might that look like? What is the question that you would ask of your congregation or of your community? What's in your blind spot? Yeah, like what's what's in your blind spot? Yeah. What? How do you answer that question if it's in your blind spot? I mean, that's a very literal way to do it. I dodge the question and invite you into a deeper reality. I mean, what Jesus is doing here, right, is inviting us into a world of blindness and giving up the sight uh, that we can see. I suspect we try to do the same thing, but in different ways. So perhaps what I mean more literally is uh, what are you choosing not to see? Because that's probably the thing God is calling you to sight in. You ready to go to songs now? Can I go first, Matt? Because I, I yes. always have the lamest ones, and so I know that will especially be the case this week. Uh, and so we can get out of the way. Bit of setup, Matt. Bit of setup for the first one. Why is Jesus in Jerusalem this early in John? Excellent question. I'm glad you asked it. Jesus is not going to die in Jerusalem for, for a number of chapters now. We're going to get into the 20s, mid to late 20s uh, in, in John. He's there for the feast, the festival of booths, or Sukkot, S-U-K-K-O-T. Uh, and what that is, is it's a harvest festival. And we've got uh, one of the Jewish groups on campus here in Boulder during uh, Sukkot, Sukkot. They have a booth on the tr- a bicycle trailer, and they ride it around campus, and they invite people to, to go into the booth. And what it, what it is is that during harvest times, they would build these little shelters, these booths, these suckets out in the fields uh, in which the men could sleep. Uh, so they didn't have to go all the way back to the house to go to sleep at night, and they could just work more often. Also sometimes known as uh, the, f- the Festival of Tabernacles, and so there's a, an understanding of the booth as a tabernacle, which plays into the whole light darkness thing, because Luther has some really cool stuff on how what makes the tabernacle holy is that it's absolute darkness, right? That that uh, that I love the, the Luther quote on um, in his commentary on Exodus when he says that God is uh, God dwells in the darkness of faith where no light can overcome it. Boom! There we go. Light, dark, playing with it again. And in that in that spirit, Matt, uh, we're gonna go to Neil Young. This is such a buildup. Oh my god! Such gosh. a buildup. We're gonna go Harvest Moon by Neil Young. When we were strangers, I watched you from afar. When we were lovers, I loved you with all my heart. But now it's getting late, and the moon is climbing high. I want to celebrate. See it shining in your eye. 
Unexpected what? choice, Harvest Moon. That's a really nice song, too. Oh, yeah. lovely. Lovely. And my other one, Matt, you're going to hate me. You're going to hate me. Uh, we're going to go with Man- Manfred Mann's Earth Band, uh, off an album called The Roaring Silence, uh, which is kind of like blindness. Blinded by the light, right? Because that's really what we're talking about here. Jesus, the light that comes and makes us blind, and somehow that's good news. So I'm going to be listening and to their version. Definitely not the Bruce Springsteen version. <laughs> I'll do some research into what the lyrics actually say, but I'm fairly 93% confident and blinded by the light. That part I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good song from uh, Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey. 1973, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> um, awesome. Okay, those are your two songs. Uh yeah, so we're going to keep adding songs to this playlist, I think. I'll pick two from my list, but uh, but we should like make a... We'll just keep adding songs to the Spotify playlist so people go and check it out afterwards. I think so. Um, but I've got Blindness not in the title of this song, but in the title of the band. <laughs> the band's name is Blind Melon. Excellent. Blind Melon. Are they in no season rain. right now? I know, right? So... Uh, I've been. Th- I mean, I think about them a lot because the Lutheran camp up here, El Camino Pines, has been using the video for Blind Melon's No Rain um, at many of their retreats. Um, I think one of the camp counselors just really likes this video as a way to think about identity uh, and being being who you are, right? Being who God created you to be. It's a really cool video. You should check it out. But the lyrics actually do talk about, all I can say is that my life is pretty plain. I like watching the puddles gather rain. Oh, we've got Oof. a fool. Um, I speak my point of, my point of view, uh, right? There is some stuff going on about sight in there as well. So um, yeah, I recommend that classic from the 90s and then a classic of reggae so my congregation is largely um, of African Caribbean descent and so we do we do some good Caribbean island music and so I'd pick Jimmy Cliffs I can see clearly now I like mm-hmm. it I like it Matt so this week we have an actual musician on the pod so oh my goodness Jonathan you've been sending us songs like all day I'm so excited what yeah. what are your favorite songs uh, to listen to related this, to this text this is Matt's vision oh. of salvation this is what it looks like <laughs> <laughs> well the, the first one I picked is actually referring to this specific text from John the main one that you read about the blind man and it's by Peter Case who is a California songwriter, still lives in California, and he made that record in about 1988, I think. And the song is called Poor Old Tom, and it's about a a homeless veteran with mental illness who's living in the streets in San Francisco. And uh, and it's about Peter Case's interaction with this guy. And the closing lyrics of the song about Tom is... He says, progress and love ain't got nothing in common. Jesus healed the blind man's eyes with mud. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's it's the one song that I actually thought of that is actually referring to that exact text. And it's not only is it a great lyric, but it's a really fantastic song and a great performance on that record. And so I I sent a YouTube a video link to you guys from the actual record, but I, it's probably on cool. Spotify. It was on, okay. I think he did on Geffen records in the eighties. And cool. then I thought of some other ones like the other, there's lots of, it's funny how many rock and roll songs are about blindness or sight. Yeah. And yeah. then there's tons of them and you never would yeah. think of it so much, but there really are a lot. One of them I really like is by Joan Osborne from about <laughs> 1996, I think it was. And she has this song called spider web about, 
meeting Ray Charles, the famous blind musician. And yeah. uh, she said she has this dream and she meets Ray Charles, but in the dream he can see. And so Ray Charles has recovered his sight. And then the kind of punchline of the song is uh, she says, you know, Ray, I'm glad you can see, but I liked you better the other way. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, but it's uh, and besides Punch. the interesting blindness imagery, it's it's, a, it's got a really great performance and it's a cool tune. And then uh, let's see, I sang some other ones. Oh, and then I just I just thought of one from your earlier text. Is Sleepers Awake yeah. from the uh, the the Epistle or from the Old Testament or what was that one from? from the Epistle. Yeah, it's from the Epistle. The epistle. And there's actually a song. I forget what the actual song itself is about, but the the chorus is inspired by that verse, and it's from uh, Athens, Georgia band back in 1986 or seven or so, which was, uh, these, this band was friends with REM and they were from the same town. And uh, the band is called Guadalcanal Diary. And the song is Sleepers Awake. And I think they did that record on Electra. And uh, I sent you a YouTube link. It's also probably on Spotify. So if you want to put it on the playlist, uh, put her on there. We will. Awesome. Thank Mm -hmm. you. It's not aware. Excellent. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be a good playlist this week. I noticed a couple weeks ago you did an REM heavy one. That was cool. <laughs> yeah, we did, didn't we? We did. We did. We're we're, we're REM fans. We are. We have a number of tells, and REM is, is one of the tells. What of your own stuff we uh, put on the? Are you gonna be listening to this weekend? You want to put one of my songs on the playlist? That's what the oh, people yes. want. All You've got right. to give well, the people what they want. I'm trying to think which songs are actually on Spotify that you could do it. But one of them might be a song called The Glasses Song. And uh, I think it's on Spotify. Although I'm not a spot. I'm an Apple Music streaming audio guy. Um, so I don't use oh. Spotify. But um, so you'll have to poke around and see if it's there. It's these days that song, The Glasses Song, is getting kind of old. It came out on an album called Sound Theology in the year 2000. And. It's a song inspired by my own uh, terror of vision. I require corrected lenses. I have uh, so for that I don't have my contact lenses in or my glasses on. I can't see very much, and so it's a it's a song about being sort of frustrated by the uh, waking up without your corrected lenses and have, waking up to a blurry world and that how that's sort of a drag. And actually, that's the song you mentioned, Ellen DeGeneres earlier in the show when you were introducing me, and that was the song that was played on the Ellen DeGeneres show. <laughs> Nice. So it's one of my, it's one of my weirder songs and maybe most obscure songs, but it, it may be the one that got the most uh, visibility of any of my songs. Cool. And it actually, she used it on a sketch where she uh, went to lens crafters at the mall <laughs> and sat behind the desk like an optometrist. And so when people came in to get their glasses fitted, it was Ellen DeGeneres sitting at the desk. <laughs> and then she just jokes around with the people. And it's it's actually, it was a really funny sketch. And then my song was kind of like in the background. <laughs> that was that was a that was a cool little showbiz adventure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I suspect with all the Spotify plays uh, that are going to be coming your way this week, you should, you should expect a much heftier <laughs> check than the normal Spotify check. <laughs> I saw that... Uh, I saw in the news this morning, actually, that the, the rapper Drake just knocked uh, Ed Sheeran off the top mm. of uh, most streams of any album. Because hmm. Ed Sheeran had the record, like so many billion or whatever, as of a few mm-hmm. weeks ago when his new record came out. And then I guess yesterday or something or a couple of days ago, Drake or on Sunday, maybe put, Drake put out a record and it it was streamed so much that it, it beat Ed Sheeran. So maybe uh, 
Yeah, wow. do your do your part to maybe put my song, the glasses song. Yeah, even more than Drake. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure podcasts aren't on the same chart as those guys, but we'll help you out. That'll because yeah. <laughs> clearly there's a mistake. But so, what's the good news, Matt? You got good news this week? Oh my! What goodness. is the good news? Introduce the good news segment. The John, good news, the um, yeah, Jonathan may not the know. Bishop Craig Satterley <laughs> Memorial Podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. Good news. So our preaching professor in seminary was, Who was uh, blind. Craig Satterley, Who continues to be blind? He's a, bishop, he's a bishop in Michigan, which I think is I where got, you're from. Right. I got to play music with him uh, at Synod at their Synod Assembly uh, two Mays ago, like a year and a half ago. Yeah. And uh, and I was the accompanist, and he had the whole liturgy memorized, and he. And I played yeah. it. He sung it without any reference notes. He just had it. He had memorized an incredibly gigantic amount of data. Correct. And yeah. he, just, he just knew it perfectly. It was really yeah. incredible. I've, I've never accompanied a, a singer who had internalized such a gigantic amount of material. It was really yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Well, as a professor, he would always ask us the one thing he wanted to know was what's the good news? What's the good news? And it's always tough to put the good news <laughs> into one little small package, uh, but it's a helpful exercise. So we try to do that at the end of the pod. What's the good news uh, for you this week? I'm often still wrestling with it at this point. I don't know. Do you have one already, Zach? I think I'm gonna I'm gonna take my good news from Jonathan this week. That ordinary stuff. Uh, I think this is starting to feel very. I mean, as it should. It, it, it's starting to feel very vocational very baptismal. I think a part of what Jesus is doing here is is not answering, is not only not answering the question that the disciples ask, but that his answer is actually a, a reframing and saying that's, here's a better question to ask. Uh, and the better question to ask is how can we under, if, as Jonathan says, right, everything, all of this ordinary, incredibly fallible stuff is the stuff that God works with uh, and, and, and God's primary, primary source material. How is that already happening around us? How is the blind man already blessed? How am I as a blind man already blessed? I mean, the good news, right, is that the, whether we got the antenna up or not, the airwaves are, are flowing like the water. It's so long. Which means sent. Uh, so God, so I guess for me, I'd say... Um, I haven't quite figured out how to phrase it yet, but I think it's something around how God helps us to see as God sees, which I think takes us to a different level of sight. So um, I might phrase it as God opens our eyes, uh, but I want to kind of unpack that a little bit and make it uh, see how to phrase it. I don't quite know how to phrase it yet, but I do think it's something around how God helps us to see as God sees. Mm. Um, Do you have any good news, Jonathan? Yeah, I'll I'll go back to the, I'll go back to the calendar and the cosmos Mm. and, and to think that, wow, you know, we had the equinox and the, it's interesting, like we're in relationship with the sun and the planets and the solar system and the, the way that our earth behaves over and over and over again. And, uh, and that the days are getting longer, the snow is melting and the sun is coming out and it's, I kind of have a little bit of spring fever and it, boy, it feels so good to me to, to wake up and have the sun in my front window when it didn't used to be there. And to see my the snow is melting and it's beautiful outside and I just uh, I like that 
you know, that's good news for me. The mm-hmm. I just like the, the seasons are going around and the, the cosmos is swirling around and it that's a, just feels nice. Yeah, it's a lot of snow melt uh, going on down there in South LA. Yes, the snow is... <laughs> Big seasonal change snow happening this week. We can see them in the mountains <laughs> far away. We can see them. The Sierra Nevada. Yeah, that's true, that's true. That'll preach, man. Good That'll stuff. preach well, in South LA. That'll yeah, preach. That'll preach. Well, Jonathan, we just want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Uh, we are new at this, but we're having a good time with it, and we appreciate you coming on and giving us a boost today. So oh, thank you. it was so much fun. Thank you for having me, and keep up the good work. And I want your listeners, Likewise. you know, please, please visit me online. I'd love to have some more visitors at my, my Facebook musician page. I'm uh, at Jonathan Runman on Twitter. And at Jonathan Rundman on Instagram, uh, and you can like me on Facebook, and you can invite me to your town to play concert. That would be great. All that sort of uh, interactivity. I'd love to. Yes, I'd love to connect with any, dates. any of the listeners. Cool. Upcoming dates. Yeah, I'm playing. I'm going to South Dakota this weekend to play for a synod event, cool. and then on Sunday morning, I'm the musician at Bethlehem Lutheran in Aberdeen, South Dakota, and they're going to read this text. Nice. And I will have a preview of it as I listen to them read it. And then um, you can critique couple- heavily. It'll you're <laughs> well positioned to. That's what and, we really want. Then, um, Not preachers. I'm going but- to Chicago to play music for the weekend. In May, I'm coming out to California to play in Whoa. Fresno for the Sierra Sierra Pacific Synod Assembly. Up, that's going to be fun. Just north of you there, Matt. Um, and then I'm going to Nebraska at the beginning of June for the Nebraska Synod Assembly. And then I'm going to Germany, to Wittenberg, for the Luther 500 Festival in June. Uh, okay. And, yeah. And, uh, and so that's going to be uh, pretty exciting. So I've got some cool travel going on. So please visit me online and you can see where I'll be. Uh, be sure to enjoy the Basque food when you're in Fresno. Uh, I'm a former resident of the Central Valley of California, home to some delicious Basque cuisine. I believe it's more French Basque in the, in the northern part of the valley. I was down in Bakersfield. You'll be in Fresno. Family-style dining, delicious. The oxtail, the pickled tongue, delicious. Enjoy. Wow. I'll, hit it. I'll visit. Thank you. Good idea. <laughs> cool. Have you got a sign-off yet, Matt? Have we figured that out?